We're back. The two ladies in the hot seat are Mandy and Kate from Love Sober. And thank you both so much for coming in and joining us in the Trauma Thrivers group. Um, And for those that are watching later or listening to the podcast, we hope that you enjoy it too. So, girls, do you mind starting just a little bit by introducing who you are and what Love Sober is? Yeah. Go on, Mand. Go on, Mand. Okay, so I'm Mandy Manners. Um, Yeah, so we co-created Love Sober about three years ago. Uh, Started as a blog of Kate's, and then um, I introduced the idea of doing a podcast um, around being mums and being sober, really, and, you know, talking about mummy wine culture, talking about what had happened to us, um, we were both training as coaches and so yeah it started to become a, a, a weekly thing it's now 100 and what are we on 170 episodes is it? Oh, oh, is it that still many? going on still bloody going on yeah still oh talking. my god um yeah so we've done a lot of interviews with different specialists and novelists and you know people within the community um and also just a lot of us chatting and moaning about how difficult it is being mums and trying to manage all the things. Um, so yeah, and I have my own kind of sober journey, my own trauma story. Um, we now um, work as, as coaches as well, and we have a community called Love Sober as well. And uh, we wrote a book called uh, Love Yourself Sober, which is a self-care guide to alcohol-free living busy mums. Um, we are writing another book. Shh, we're not allowed to talk about it yet. Um, are you? And you're allowed yeah. to tell us a little bit did. about what it's about. Yeah. Go on, Kate. Tell them a little bit oh. about what it's about. Well, it's a bit like how to long-term sustainable, hopefully, uh, well-being and sobriety for for modern women using the wisdom of cycles and cyclical, rather than being on this kind of ragged twenty-four-seven high-energy stressed outness it's all very well it's like we put down the bottle which was that resource that we were using and this is all about the trying to get on board really sustainable long term um and going a little bit more bit deeper and a bit more woo because our first book was about that you know boundaries practicality socializing sober it's some of those more but um typically people sort of go a bit sort of on an inner journey and into the second year often this this sort of stuff comes up so that's that that yeah. next layer of the onion if you like amazing <laughs> yeah. amazing yeah and, and um, how how did on. you both meet we actually met on um on soberistas which is a forum for you know sobriety forum and uh, i really like kate's style and thought she had uh, nice shoes i remember a picture and a, and a sparkly hat she had one time and then we started chatting Thanks, and, dude. Um, that's all right and oh. and she we worked out that we both live you know two streets away from each other in brighton but we never actually met at the time and we probably drank in the same pub but we're probably too pissed to <laughs> know who who was around uh, so, so true yeah. so telling uh, and so now yeah and so it's become that and now we we train coaches too so we developed a course in addictive behaviors which is all around widening this conversation around you know the dopamine circuit and that you know addiction can happen to anyone and it's 
you know, it's around, you know, technology, around gambling, whatever it is, it's that thing. And we live in a society now that is incredibly stressed, um, which is a bit what we're going to talk about tonight in terms of, you know, the nervous system and, yeah. and living in this modern world, we are reaching out to cope. Um, yeah. And so, you know, whatever it is, how can we support clients as coaches um, to kind of meet their goals and unlock what might be holding them back? Because quite often, it's a hidden thing and if you're not informed and if you're not looking out for it you might miss it you know it's like this coach this client's not getting where they want to be and if you if you're informed and if your addictive behavior is informed you can go okay well I heard they were sitting on their sofa scrolling on you know social media every evening maybe yeah. let's explore that you know and sort of helping them to really yeah to and just to open that conversation and, and change the stigma around these things, you know, it's, 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 especially for young people, it's so prevalent now with gaming, with, you know, perfectionism, with success that we need to start creating a culture that is, you know, addictive behaviours informed. That's the mission, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think the mission probably as well is to see that addictive behaviours are really just an attempt at self-soothing yeah. a nervous system that's dysregulated. 100%, yeah. You yeah. Know, and, and that's the conversation, isn't it, tonight that we want to have a little bit around how do we, without all those things or without the alcohol or without the gaming or without everything, how do we start to learn to self-regulate or even what is self-regulation in the first place? What, mm. what does it mean? Yeah. Because mm. there might be people listening to this that don't, don't know what self-regulation means or don't even realise maybe that they're self-soothing through addictive behaviours yet. Yeah. Who Wait, wants to start with that one? Kay? Introduce yourself and then, yeah, take that one. Introduce myself. Hello, I'm Kate. I'm the other half. I'm the like Malcolm and Wise. I'm the other half. And so who's the yeah? So I'm I'm her other half. Um, yeah. And so Mandy says yeah. We work together on Love Sober, and we and my my journey also. I have um, uh, addictive story, um, and I have a trauma story which I didn't know was there because I didn't see it as one of those really obvious things. And that's one thing that really once I'd once alcohol wasn't working in in this way that we're talking about, I definitely was using it to try and self-soothe and self-regulate it at the end of a busy day and cope, you know, and it, it and as it does, it it it, it can dance centre stage without without us knowing about it. So so that was me. But once I'd got rid of that, I was left with this piece of what well, how what what do I do now? My resource had gone, what do I do now? And I I think that's where what Man Mandy and I's work has very much been about this last few years is piecing together what you said, Lou, it's about how do we resource ourselves? How do we soothe ourselves? How do we feel comfortable in our own skin to be present enough in our, our own lives to enjoy our lives, to connect with other people, to connect with ourselves? You know, it's, it's all the stuff, you know, all full stop, the full stop stuff, full stop. And so, yeah, that's, that led us on to this kind of idea of exploring the more holistic kind of elements. Okay, yeah. what are the tools? So this very briefly, uh, before we get 
into as we will go out a bit before we go in a bit again so that led led me on to kind of basically going I want as much knowledge because I'm a a heady person I wanted as much knowledge as possible so I studied the science of happiness I went I don't want to look at what's wrong with me I want to look at what's right with me done the therapy that that just feels crap for me now so it was about okay that doesn't work so isn't this often the way So I'm going to try that. And I realized that people, when I was studying the science of happiness a few years ago, what people were talking about on sober forms was very much the same. People were starting to get into gratitude practice. People were trying to get into mindfulness. Um, People were talking about self-compassion. People were talking about connection. So so this picture started to emerge. Um, And then part of during this time Mandy and I started working together and she made me very aware of the kind of trauma element the mental health element I brought in the science of happiness and then we I was had a yoga practice for quite a few years so I was involved in this polyvagal okay there's something in the body question about it as well so it all sort of collided and led us to this point where we where we've done this course so so that's the blowing it out so bringing it back what what are the tools um and what how do we self-resource and self-regulate and i'll just say quickly so i'm sure we will go around won't we we'll go around the circle but for me it was very much about is about exploration um and dropping into where I'm at now to then try things out to see if they make me feel better (laughs) it's almost as simple as that it's like and that, that was almost even to know that that does feel better so that was my sort of start with it um I I don't know if I can kind of I feel like I've I've blown it out and maybe I need to be reminded what the question is. Self-regulation, what does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. Where do we want to go? Do we want to go dive into the the sort of the nervous system or do we want to talk more generally? Well, I'm wondering um, if we just talk about generally a little bit more about what self-regulation means to each of us individually and how we all made that journey from putting down our addictive processes to being able to be and stay in the body, because that essentially, to me, is the journey that we all have to take at some point. So yeah. maybe I'm interested in what was it like that those that uh, those early days of mm. after we put it down. How do we start to even learn to be in it or start to work with emotions or feelings or sensations or what what was there? You know, like anybody listening to this who hasn't put down their addictive processes yet or in or or are on the journey of being in those. I mean, for me, I I just remember it. I mean, there is I don't know whether I should say this, but. The first year or two, I was I was a therapist when I put and when I put down my my alcohol. I I didn't think a, a bottle of wine a day being ex media, and radio was an issue uh, until I found out that it was. Um, 
you know, and I, and I think I probably cried every day for the first year of my life after I put down alcohol. And certainly for the first two or three years, I couldn't bear people behind me. I couldn't bear people near me when I was walking. I was, I, I, I was at times really dysregulated and really triggered. And how did you come through that, Lou? Which one of the 30 methods or models mm. do you want, Mel? Well, that's it, isn't it? The yeah. 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 I, I think essentially, in a nutshell, I think it's about learning that piece of very, very slowly being able to let emotions up, to be okay with our feelings, to take them to people in safe places mm. and to start to let out some of what I call the fizz. Mm. Because there was so much fizz and dysregulation in the system and the nervous system, I, I, I needed to process some of that to be able to come back into the body and feel regulated. So mm. that was my first bit, letting some of that out in a safe, contained held space and for me it was therapy mm. you know yeah. that was my journey and I tried all the NLP and the I'm not saying all NLP I love a lot of it I've tried the more quick fixes but actually <clears throat> I needed a relational model of my child parts felt like they were being listened and attuned to mm. and regulated via somebody else's safe nervous system I think yeah I've got you what about you, Mel? Yeah, I um, I, I was just sort of thinking as everyone was was talking, like when when the shift sort of happened for me, where I I felt where I when did I go and how did I go from feeling in constant fear, feeling you know distressed, feeling like I couldn't cope once I put the drink and the drugs down to feeling like I might be able to kind of manage those smaller things that I might be able to go out for a walk, see friends, do all the kind of, you know, the, the normal things, go into Costa and get a coffee. Um, and for me, it was a really, it was a really slow journey through, I think exactly what Lou said, a lot of co-regulation. And I think that's one of the beauties of um, being in a mutual support group is that you get, and I think this is, it, it's, it's amazing really, because if we think about back when, you know, mutual support groups started and specifically for me, you know, 12 step fellowships, there wasn't this knowledge and this science around co-regulation, but actually it's genius because what happened for me was I started to socialize with other sober people and co-regulate through them and then they became my safe place they became the safe people to go for a meal with to go for a coffee with and then I had my therapist who like as Lou quite rightly said helped to take the fizz out you know to help with the releasing to help with you know getting really helping to to regulate my nervous system so that and I think the important piece about what we're talking about this evening is so that when I wasn't around the people in my mutual support group or I wasn't around my therapist, I could feel safe on my own. Yeah, so that's the point, right? So mm. self-regulation is this thing of like, how do we manage our state, essentially, isn't it? So how when when the pain comes, how do we 
manage it? How do we be able to, you know, bring ourselves back to homeostasis and feel okay? You know, when the joy comes, as we were talking about earlier, you know, because definitely my addictive behaviours, you know, I, I use it on both ends of the yeah, spectrum. Yeah, lots of people I do. Didn't, you know, I didn't, I used it because when I was yeah. anxious and high and I was yeah. excited to be around people and I used it when I was sad and I was alone and, and, and felt, you know, yeah, lonely essentially. And, and so on both sides of that, I had to find ways in order for me to feel okay, in order for me to feel um, present in my, in my life and be able to cope you know, so self-regulate, self-cope um, without using something that is going to cause me harm, you know. Um, and uh, what's interesting when we were talking about this, you know, is, is that how it changes and how, how it grows mm -hmm. out, you know, for people. Like, and we've talked about this before, you know, within our trauma experiences and our trauma, um, you know, I'd like Kate to talk about this a little bit more with the Iron Lions mm -hmm. model. Um, but you know that everything doesn't happen straight away you know? and so for someone might be able to access you know meditation in terms of self-regulating themselves for me that's not possible in my trauma recovery right now I don't know, think so for me at the beginning many, it was be you know it was and it still is one of my main is going in the bath like the bath was my safe space you know and you know, when you said what, which thing is it is because what you do and Kate was saying before is you, you build up lots of things and then you test, you try, you know, sometimes we're having a conversation. It's not going to the garden center and buying a new plant. That's not kicking in. You know, it's not the bath. It's not putting my headphones on and listening to hip hop, but it's like, you have all this toolkit of, of things that you can use. Ah, it was the therapist, like, okay, you know, or it might have been dancing with, with really loud hip hop on and, you know, and just letting it out. But it's the ability to build this kind of toolkit of different things that you can use. Mm. You know, and I had a very, very stressful moment, um, you know, last weekend where I just, you know, my brain, I was no longer in my body. My brain was searching for something to take the pain away. You know, it's just like, I can't, I just, I can't. So it went through all of the things, you know, but because of the training of, the, of building that toolkit, it went through all the things. And some of those things were very dark and not where I wanted to go. And it landed on, I'll get in the bath and listen to Sarah Blondin, you know, and that was, a, that was enough because I, that yeah. was a safe space. And that was my first point of entry, enabling me to come back to myself and go, yeah. now I've got options. Now I phone a friend, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. And I, I was going to say, man, just pick up, well, just return to the co-regulation piece because it's so important. And, and, and for me, um, the, there were a couple of bits just to answer to that question. The, I realised that through my yoga practice and my amazing yoga studio, the lady who runs it was a mental health practitioner and is trained in all of she's a trauma-informed yoga practitioner. And so she was talking. So basically for the last seven years, three times a week, I've been co-regulating with people on the yoga mat. I had no idea I was doing that, but my, my experience of my world is entirely different. Yeah. But that, that first year of sobriety is very much, I was so dysregulated, like you said, I had to even know when I needed to go to the toilet. Often I just wave away the red flags. So I think starting to learn about my own body impulses yeah 
built that capacity and let some of that yeah. fizz out again I didn't know I didn't know any of that yeah. but that's what was happening yeah. I had to run I had to move I had to eat I had to just it was very reactive as a way of I was going I need a resource I need a resource give me a resource yeah. um, and it had to be anything but but the booze so that was that first year in slowly slowly as the regulation happened I could be a bit more proactive about it or a little bit less um yeah it was it was like there was there was more capacity and for me very recently actually because I got quite good at sort of um well I think there was a bit of functional freeze with me where I people would go you're so calm Kate and I'm like I'm really freaking out inside but the, you'd never tell right <laughs> well with Mandy because she knows me but anyway, um, but very recently have I touched upon my sort of rage. Right. And that's like I've been now my sober streak. I've been on the sober path for eight years, but quite yeah, it's recently. Called the <laughs> Sorry. There is. There is. There, well, that's a whole other. In, excuse yeah. my French. Yeah. But, but so um, I'm finding myself and partly because the, the, the work I've done with with Irene Lyon recently and around diaphragms was that I go in the car and I let out when I'm when I've got quiet these awful dreadful war cries blood they're like blood I want they're bloodthirsty right I'm like Bruh! and um sometimes I need to do that and it feels like I want to vomit a boulder yeah so that's that's quite recent um yeah. so but I feel regulated enough and resourced in myself to be able to that not to scare that. me I'm just like oh right I'm shifting a bit of crap yeah. so um so yeah the, that that piece and that that evolution evolution yeah. piece I really I relate to okay mm. and is it helpful, do you think, for anybody watching? Because I know, Kate, you've got a diagram of kind of a little bit of what we're talking about that maybe you can share, because maybe we can talk people through. You've mentioned Irene Lyons a couple of times, mm. who I, who, who again, I send a lot of my clients and recommend to, who is a somatic experiencing practitioner, amongst other things, yeah. and who's got a very good YouTube channel um, and works with the nervous system, as does a guy called Roland Bal, B-A-L, who just does meditations for people with complex trauma or PTSD. Mm -hmm. So he's a meditation expert for those people with trauma. Mm -hmm. I think it's quite useful to tell people that self-regulation and just show them maybe the ladder and what's yeah. going on. Can you see it? No. No. Oh, share screen. Share. Can ah, share it? No, see it? Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Can see it now. So hopefully they can see it in the group. Mm. So as far as I can see on can the, the safe and social. Can you make it full screen? It's not full screen. Sorry. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, I can. If you uh, press play. Press Pardon? Play. Press play. Play on the top bar in the middle it's kind of sat on its own left left a bit up a bit down, low, low. That's it. there we go that quiz Thank show you. used to do that <laughs> left so, upper, upper, lower lower I, I don't know how you guys explain this to people but how mm. I tend to do it is um ventral which you can see on the left where it says safe and social 
ventral is kind of the green and that's in our um, social engagement system is turned on. We feel in our adult, we're in our present moment, we can engage, we can do all of those wonderful things. And then as soon as we start to feel triggered internally, externally, or by something, we start to go into what I call our hyper arousal um, or our sympathetic nervous systems up there as well and we start to go into oh I think I might have to defend or protect myself and if that's not working we then go into or our nervous system then goes into dorsal vagal shutdown or what I call hypo arousal so with my clients and work in the last 20 years I think that some people get very much stuck in either their sympathetic activation or their dorsal vagal flop collapse activation. And they they find it very difficult to come back up to ventral and be an adult. So really self-regulation from my perspective, I'd be interested in all three of you, what you think is about helping somebody to know when they're in ventral vagal and what brings them into green, what starts to take them into amber and red. But also, if I'm really honest for me, where most people avoid is their dorsal vagal. And when they're in dorsal vagal, for me, that's when their child stuff and their historical stuff is activated. And that's what we need to release. Mm-hmm. to come back up the ladder this was a really really important thing for me to be able to identify that was going on within within myself and now you know I know that there are different resources that I have for if I'm in my dorsal if I'm in my in my sympathetic and you know generally what you know what I do and this isn't what works for everybody but you know if I'm feeling in you know a state of anxiety if I'm feeling in a state of fear um if I'm feeling in a state of slight kind of manicness sympathetic (laughs) it's always very very interesting um you know I know at that point I need to do for me the meditation or have a bath or do something that's very grounding and very calming Um, whereas if I feel like I'm indoors if I feel like I'm in shutdown for me it's a freeze and that is actually much more common for me Mm. than being in my sympathetic um that is when I need to move Mm. um and like like Lou said it you know to not just to release but to 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 start to shift the energy to start to wake and to start to move back up into my window of tolerance and I think there's this real um there's a bit of kind of zeitgeisty stuff that goes on around, you know, listen to your body. If you feel like you need to rest then rest. And I, for me, I needed to identify the difference between when I'm tired and I need to rest and Mm. sleep and when I'm in shutdown and I need to bring myself up and, and, and release. And that was probably one of the trickiest things for me. And even now I don't think I get it right all the time. Yeah, and that's, that's gets actually, it right that, that open curiosity that Kate was saying before, isn't it? It's just like, you know, you just test it out because sometimes you don't know. And then by by sort of, you know, tests, it's like, 
oh actually I'm just really tired I'm just gonna go to bed you know you're trying to fix sometimes it's about the fix and sometimes it's about actually you know accepting what it is but you don't know that until you you get that kind of you have enough tools to sort of work around it oh I'm really sorry I'm trying to stop sharing no that's brilliant and 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 you know sometimes I think it's about when we are down there or feeling it and really in it not moving out of it too quickly because sometimes we need to be able to process what's there yes. without taking it away absolutely yeah yeah sometimes yeah. you don't you're not you're not up for doing that either yeah. and, and you know for the, the other bit about that sort of being in the sympathetic the fight flight thing you know that I've had clients before sort of saying, but that's good, isn't it? That, you know, that I've got this, it's better than me feeling bad or, you know, disempowered. And I was like, in that particular conversation, um, it's to remember that those are, it's an important survival response, right? That's supposed to be activated for short periods of time to adapt to an external threat. And so if we're stuck in that, which a lot of us are, aren't we? We're with the chronic stress, with the busyness, it's going to wreak havoc on our, we can't digest our food properly. We get chronic health problems. We get, you know, we start resourcing ourselves with unhelpful habits because we're we're trying to, we're trying to kind of bring ourselves down. So all of those are, are, are really important, but they're supposed to be activated at the correct time according to our circumstances um and so I what was like what was the first what's the first step do you think Lou in starting to become skillful with our with our nervous systems I think it's about trying to become unstuck in any of them and starting to I think the first skill for me is in the noticing. That's like Ralph said, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, rather than the judging. Because I think so many of us get stuck in that judgment and that what I call critical parent. You know, I should be an adult. I should be feeling this. And yet we're either anxious or fearful or going into some sort of response about something. And then it's all the shoulds and the must and the ought tos and that that kind of internal dialogue of not just starting to recognize, I think, that our nervous system is doing all of the things that it's doing to protect us. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's, I think the first step is about tracking and knowing that's what the polyvagal theory's done for me. You know, it's it's allowed me to tell clients exactly what's happening from a nerve, not a mental health perspective, mm. not even an addiction or a trauma perspective per se, because those are all words, but what is happening within your own system mm. and how can you track it and how can you start to shift it yourself? Mm. So it's kind of giving some power and some autonomy back to that person so that mm. they're in charge really of their own body and their own system and able to see that they don't have to fight themselves, that actually their system is is trying to support them. Mm. And I always say it's about moving from judgment to curiosity. 
you know, moving from that space of, oh, there's something going on with me. There's something wrong with me. What's happening? I need to change it. I need to do something about it to go, oh, what's this telling me? Yeah. And that, that there's a brain reason for that too, because yeah. judgment comes from the prefrontal cortex, as we know, and noticing or observation or curiosity come from the medial prefrontal cortex, which is hooked up to the amygdala. Mm -hmm. So if we're coming from that part, it can actually affect the amygdala and calm it down. Whereas judgment from here, mm. it, it doesn't. Yeah. And I yeah. Think, Sorry, well, go on, No, I was just going to say, I think, again, are the, these kind of processing of discovery, you know, and accessing where you're at right now, you know, a lot for some people are like, oh my God, that's just Im impossible, you know, to, to release that if I'm in a triggered state around, you know, a family member or around a situation. So you kind of have these emergency kind of tools, which you can just access in that moment of just, of, of maintaining essentially, you know, but again, after that, it's the release. Yes. You know? So it's this yes. two-part process. You yeah. Know? You've got the stress stresses in your life so we work on boundaries we work on you know um that toxic relationship or changing your job but then you've got to release the stress that's been building up in all those in all you know for the years and the same in the free sense it's like okay we can work on you know cuddling ourselves and and yes. the environment and making things secure for us but we still need to be able to get those you know bring yeah. it back up or get it out yeah um, also self-resourcing is that about not about having things that we can do to stop the stresses building up in the first place you know once we get to the point where we've gone through that first part um you know because I'm obviously aware you know we are trauma thrivers and a lot of our you know a lot of our audience have have gone through that first part so when, once we've been through that first part is the self-resourcing then about getting things, having things in our lives that enable us to kind of release and discharge almost on a daily basis to stop yeah. building up and needing that big release and needing that big awareness. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I always say now that I, I used to laugh about it before I, I, I had an intellectual framework for this. Um, a couple of years ago, I'd be like, I've actually got a really elaborate self-care practice, <laughs> like, and I have to, um, you know, include which is the yoga, which is a morning routine. Uh, I have quite a stressful time at home within the family. I've got extra needs within the family. So I had to adapt again and put in extra um, stuff like definitely walk in the woods, you know, but I have to be very conscious of my of my well-being and my routines and that is all about that then I discovered I if I like lay down on the floor five times a day and wave my arms and legs like seaweed that would help me to come out of my head and go all fizzy so it's literally like finding a little ways a grounding practice if you if you sense that you're starting to get how are you going to actually you know what yeah what what and so whether that's proactive like I know I've planned it in the diary or whether it's like oh okay I need it now I can pull it out the bag it's about assembling that isn't it sort of reactive and proactive yeah. tools um 
I've just got one more thing I'd say about that. Mandy told me this recently. Um, uh, this was just, uh, I, I've been experimenting with sensory stacking. So my walk in the woods wasn't managing to release what I need to release at the moment. And Mandy introduced me to these noise cancelling headphones, which make everything go quiet. And I know I've got auditory sensitivity processing issues, but I've just had a, I hadn't really consciously paid attention there. And now I went into the woods the other day with these headphones on and listened to this classical music, saw the sunlight streaming through the trees. And I just went, wow, bang. I just cried, cried, went up, went down. It all just flooded, but in a, in a completely fine and good, safe way for me. And so I think another part of this is looking at our senses and how do we resort just how do we look after our sensory needs because they are like really big tools for us aren't they yeah because they're the triggers and the tools right that's a beautiful way of putting it they're the triggers and the tools yeah i think everything okay be bye that's yeah. it yeah. <laughs> that's it that's it that's it that's it yeah, no, I, I think it's about current, isn't it? It's about mm. currently in this moment, in the here and now, managing and managing differently and, you know, doing things to help ourselves in this moment. And then there's the old stuff. Mm. You know, there's what comes up and kind of knocks mm. us out and we don't know that it's coming. So I think we can definitely start to employ loads and loads of tactics in the present moment that are going to help manage us as soon as we start to go from green mm. up to yellow or orange that usually is and go okay I want to bring myself back down to green because you know the ideal of self-regulation and self-resourcing is to expand the green isn't it mm. is to expand the window or to make our adult <clears throat> present moment self feel okay whatever we're feeling mm. yeah so what have you used to expand your green and expand your adult in the present moment into green all of you what kind of i mean you've got your self-care obviously routine okay mm. yeah, a mixture of yeah, high quality good. information contact with so i need the head knowledge i need all the chats with manned a lot you know we chat every week on the podcast and then with with other people sober community my yoga community okay so that keeps you in ventral anyway because your social engagement social engagement on. those yeah. are those would be my big ones. And then those self-care, self-soothing, uh, you know, the, the downshift ones that I do. Yeah. I'd say those are my my big ones. Oh, and musical theatre. Oh, uh, wow. like, whoosh, hello, here yeah. I am. Lovely. So that, that, would be, that would be the joy spot and the glimmer of when yeah. I can just go for it. Um, yeah, what about singing? you? Yeah, singing all the time, singing, yeah. What's your Hell favourite yeah. song? I got so many. I used to be a musician, so I have Did so you? many. Yeah, but I used to go be all rock. I'm rock and rolly, um, trip hoppy kind of nineties girl. Okay. Um, but 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 get me on the stage and I'll I'll sing anything. Like literally, you'd have to drag me off. You were one of the div <laughs> you were one of the divas, weren't you? In um, 
Priscilla. In Priscilla. I did. That's my last role was in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And I, oh yeah, my I was, God, that's amazing. I was singing on a shoe. Yeah. And just to, you know, to, to contextualize that, you know, yeah. I'm sure you don't mind me saying, but at that moment, you know, Kate's sister in law had, had just really oh, tragically yes. died of cancer. Oh, God. So this is, a, you know, a very extreme case of how something that is your passion and is you know a love and, yeah. and that, that helps me cope could, yeah. could help you cope through something that's in you know a, a massive yeah. figure and a massively yeah. difficult time oh, yeah just held the space for that other part hmm. of you. I call it the yeah the sacred church of drag it really yeah. held held my held me yeah 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 so, so it's in, you know because this is what this is about right it's like as you said before no matter what happens we can hold ourselves in our adult mm, self yeah. and yeah. Not return to those you know unhealthy and, and, behaviors yeah and, and mechanisms. I think that's why it's so important with our clients or particularly you know some of my clients they 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 don't have an experience of adult or green and they don't have the hobbies or the self-care behaviors or any of that to kind of fall back on yeah. when they're dysregulated. Yeah. So it's about us trying to get them to have some of those joys yeah. in their life, yeah. you know, or even relationships like we've all got yeah. where, you know, you both got each other. I can phone Mel, thankfully now, and you know, whinge to her and hopefully vice versa. It's so important that we've got people like that that we can do that with. Yeah. And I always look at it very much um, for myself and for my clients from a mind, body, soul aspect. And I, I try my best to do something each day to nourish each part, mm. each of those parts of me. And, you know, that might look different on, on, on different days, but, you know, I have regular things I do. So for the mind, I do meditation, you know, for, for the, for the body, I've got my running and I do a bit of yoga as well. Um, and for my soul, I have, again, you know, meditation practices. I have other spiritual practices that I'm involved with. Um, I, I try and, you know, be of use, be of service to people. So I have, you know, I have these things in place so that I know on a daily basis without having to think about it too much. Mm. I'm feeding each part of those parts of me and then I have the like you quite rightly said Kate then I have the kind of emergency ones as well so it's like if I'm you know suddenly triggered or activated or you know something has happened right what do I need to do and usually for me the first thing I need to remind myself to do is to bloody breathe it's to breathe you know that is the first thing you, you know, my clients say to me what is the first thing when I'm feeling triggered what is the first thing I do breathe mm. Um, you know, because that is just, and and then most of the time for me, it is picking up the phone to somebody, getting that connection. You know, that is absolutely vital for me in terms of, you know, how I regulate and resource. Mandy, what about you? Yeah, so going on that kind of mind, body, soul, I guess. Yeah. Um, for me, yeah, mind-wise, it's, you know, I do a lot of values practice. So I always check in with like, you know, if I'm feeling triggered or if I'm feeling activated, it's like, what, what's checking in with my values? Like, are these the right people? Am I in the right space? You know, does it, if my core value is being authentic or, you know, be, having integrity, 
have I stepped out of that? You know, so that's the kind of, you know, and I'm constantly checking in with that and, and, const and just having a conversation with all, as our friend Rose says, the committee that lives in our, in our heads, you know, the, the self, the sacrificer, the, the busy one, the, you know, the, the one, all those people that chat, you know, and, and remind myself that, oh, I, I'm in control and I'm the adult here. Um, body, um, unfortunately, I used to run, but I had an injury. So that's been quite interesting when you lose something that was yeah. a precious resource. Um, for me, it's around, you know, swimming or water. Um, it's, I think because of my trauma process and being quite hypervigilant for so long, I still struggle with open space. So there's something very protective and very calming for me or getting under a, you know, a weighted blanket, for example, those things can be really good for me or, you know, putting on a, a woolly jumper, just those things that really, you know, yeah. cosset me yeah. and hold me. Yeah. Um, and in terms of spiritual, spiritual practice, I think it's, for me, it's, I mean, I don't have a spiritual practice. That's something that is a big question in my life. It's not something, you know, I've, I've ever had really, um, but I have had music. Um, music has been my, yeah. you know, thing. And yeah. so I can lose myself. I can change my mood. I can enter into a different space, listening to different music. So that's hugely kind of important. And, and I will like every day, I'll just put my headphones on and I'll have a moment, you know, to myself um, and hold whatever emotion it is, you know, and hold that sadness if that's what's there. Yeah. But like listen to Portishead, you know, or hold that or push my joy and listen to some disco, you know, so I can really use that to help me to regulate and bring up what I want or shift, um, which is really helpful because I thought that was a thing that I had to let go when I stopped yeah. drinking, you know, because I was that party girl and the festival girl and all about rave music and all that. And to be able to bring that back actually yeah. into my adult um, has been, you know, brilliant. Yeah. And how, how important do we think nutrition is on this journey? We've talked a bit about exercise. Yeah, I mean, gut, gut health and brain health is connected, right? And as Kate said, you know, you're going to have problems with your digestion if you're dysregulated. You're not going to be getting nutrients in, in the way that mm. you, you should or, or, you know. So I think um, working with, I mean, I worked with a nutritionist and it was hugely important, you know, yeah. having almonds having walnuts you know things that sort of boost your dopamine levels or you know can increase your GABA levels and really help support lots of protein you know protein in the morning um you know helps you build serotonin levels and, and helps you kind of start the day well so um, and eating you know because yeah. I, I certainly lived on red wine and coffee and was a burnt out you know lecturer at a university and that's how that was my life and so just eating regular meals and healthy food you know green you know good greens and yeah. eating the rainbow um yeah it's all and sometimes a bit of cake oh wow. yeah sometimes Always. a bit of cake yeah. yeah yeah can't be too perfect all the time no. like, especially if you sense a stack like for me like if i uh, create um a picture so I'll go for a lovely autumn walk and pick up some lovely leaves with the kids and then go and have a spiced apple cake like it's almost bringing in all of the senses and that 
that sort of doesn't feel like I'm doing a just a, a, a knee-jerk reaction sugar hit. It's like it's yeah. really nourishing. Um, uh, and whilst you're talking of senses, I know that you mm -hmm. both wanted to say a bit about sensory processing mm -hmm. and neurodiversity. Could you divulge a little bit more on that on that score for us? Well, it's really interesting, isn't it? What what we're doing is we've we've been noticing, but I think very much Mandy and and my work over the last few years. I'll speak for us both and just challenge me if I'm not, if I'm talking out turn and has been almost to join the dots between many conversations for ourselves and and sort of in the ways we wanted to work. So with the the alcohol, with addictive behaviours, with trauma, with mental health with then the dive, you know, intersection and, and a, you know, a wider social level. And then part of this that sort of came into, came into the picture was how many of our community were identifying as neurodiverse, um, had could we, could we kids. explain what neurodiverse okay, so, is for people that are listening that don't understand mm, that term? Yeah, so things like um, ADHD, um, being on the autistic spectrum, uh, yeah. dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, um, Tourette's. Yeah. There's, there's almost, and the, again, there's this very sort of spectrum of all of these in terms of, of how they're showing up for people. So there's been a big thing lately about being highly, a highly sensitive person, HSP, um, which is not, you know, hasn't reached any diagnostic thresholds there. But is is sort of seems to be glimmering on the on on this um, yeah in this topic. So we are asking the questions again, like so you can look at these things through the the nervous system. Yeah. Then so right? you can you yeah. can say well is the is ADHD part you know some in in utero trauma dysregulation is it what was the their attachment that, like was yeah. there an attachment thing or is it the fact that we've all sped up and we're on our smartphones and this is dysregulating so i think but for us i mean this has also gone as a personal process as um member a member of my um my family is diagnosed with adhd and then and auto and autism and then piecing it back through our family of going Oh, right. OK, there's a generational piece there. So what I guess we're trying to say is that some people may have had diagnoses. They may have people in the family. What we do know is that there's there's a struggle. There are some diagnostic criteria there, but that that can show up and that can um, be impacted by trauma, be traumatic and also lead us to be resourcing ourselves in addic with addictive behaviors yeah and um, have you got anything yeah to no add? i think well there's the the two elements isn't it is that ostracization you know that 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 feeling of being alone and being this of being othered you know which we see in terms of you know the race question or you know your sexuality this is another part of that in terms of you're in a school and you're neurodiverse in a neuro neurotypical school system you're going to be you know the naughty child yeah. or you're going to be um you know yeah not 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 given things that work for you you know and saying my son has dyspraxia you know it's like he's been told ever since he was very young that he's terrible at writing he's messy he's you know uh, to quite a, a degree that's hurt him and you know impacted on his self-esteem yeah and so now we understand it's like 
it's just he just needs to type on a keyboard it's just not his thing right but so much of that has sort of goes unnoticed mm. you know and so what do you do when you feel othered and you don't feel like you belong then you outsource or you resource with you know an addictive behavior. Things. yeah but on the other side when you look at you know the trauma side of things and how the brain works you know if your executive function isn't working well if you've got impulse control issues if you are if you find it very difficult to calm down um you know which are all sort of parts of adhd and autism and things like that you know if you find it very hard to organize yourself you know all those and things you go into fight flight right yeah you're going to be in that that activated you know um part of your nervous system and it's going to be harder for you to kind of mm. um to manage things so it's that the the care of people you know turning up to us as, as as coaches is understanding their sensory needs understanding their needs in terms of their how they mm. work how they understand things you know and how they process things yeah, it's really important you know it's really important that we add that to this part of the conversation around there's a lot of the work that I do actually with my clients is about sense is the sensory stuff and most of my clients identify as having been neurodiverse or having members of the family as as well and all those addictive behaviors it seems to be such a big yeah thing sorry well I was just gonna say um because it was something that Mandy said and talked about the othering and I know that piece about shame is such a big piece and I, and I was going to talk about a little bit but I don't, I'm happy to go elsewhere and, and come back if we got time in terms of how do we so we've talked about how do we connect with other people but how and how are we connecting with it ourselves and I know for me the piece about self-compassion learning a self-compassion practice to be able was a, a fundamental like fundamental key thing and that seems to segue into what Mandy was talking about about the shame about the othering and about that piece and I don't know whether that is a good thing to talk about now or mm. to talk about the, the the shame and the othering well I don't know. I suppose I, I understand everything in terms of, you know, for me, I work it back into if green is adult and yeah. yellow or orange in some cases is what I call critical parent. And and the child is the is the dorsal vagal shutdown. Yeah. Then I think a lot of people who are severely traumatized don't want to access their child mm -hmm. they're completely embarrassed or shamed about the child and the beliefs about self that come about not only because of the initial trauma but all the secondary stuff that we're talking about mm. I've got a label yeah. oh I'm an addict oh I've mm. been told I've got borderline personality disorder or my addiction <clears throat> has created that so that shame about core self completely is part of the healing journey and we have to work with those child parts and we have to make people conscious of the beliefs that those child parts have about themselves so that they know that they're not their their adult per mm. se and that their critical parent or yeah. you were talking about you know committees or um you know 
the, the all the people in our heads that tell yeah. us they just compound don't they what's in the not okay yeah. child they just complete completely confirm it so for me that self-compassion piece mm. with a lot of people doesn't come until they realize that they need to bring in a nurturing parent rather than a critical parent mm. and I think on the trauma journey it's quite hard sometimes for people often for a while to give themselves any sort of self-care mm. or self-nurture yeah. let alone let themselves off the hook for their trauma or their diagnoses mm. yeah. so um to that I would I um would signpost I hope it's all right to signpost um what helped me was uh Tara Brack I don't know if she's a Buddhist psychologist yeah um, I, listen, and she I, goes, I, I think it's great to signpost to everybody because okay. not one method or model or person or yeah. group can teach everybody everything we pick mm. up on our journey you know I've been on mine for 25 years we pick up different things different yeah. yeah so she and, goes through the process and she works a lot with this um tra uh, trauma and shame um and addictive behaviors but through a sort of buddhist and psych psychology background but she uh takes you through a process of rain which was recognize allow investigate nurture yeah. and it was that nurture bit there's a brilliant yeah. youtube video on that if people are interested yeah. in that yeah but that that what you said really spoke to me in terms of but breaking it down and saying this is these are some steps you can do yeah really worked for me and it was yeah. that ah oh, when I'm feeling shit to be able to say it's okay sweetheart like yeah. literally be Recognizing able to say it yeah and allowing it where's it showing up Not tolerating Being it curious investigating yeah. it and then a big old dose of love it's okay sweetheart and well, it's the same as every therapist in the book would say, recognize, mm -hmm. tolerate, validate. Okay. Mm. It's, it's part of the self-soothing, self-efficacy that, that is, that you don't, well, that I certainly didn't learn yeah. as a traumatized child. Yeah. No. That is not taught necessarily. I, I, I'm hoping with all the education that we have now, it's being taught more to, to children, you know, by parents and please God one day, you know, in schools as part of the curriculum. But, you know, it is, it, it is that, that getting to that point of, of being able to self-soothe and self-efficate. Mm. And that was huge for me. And like you say, Kate, you know, sometimes I remember the first time I gave myself a hug, you know, and I was, I was lying in bed and I was weeping and I was sobbing and it was not long after I got clean and sober and I just, all, I just kept saying, I just need a hug. I just need, and then this thought came to me, well, you can hug yourself. And I remember I just put my arms around myself and hugged myself and the, the feeling that I got from that was just incredible. But, you know, it's, um, it, it's not, it's not easy. It's yeah. not easy to get, to get to that and, and to believe it as well. But I think you're right, Mel. And I think Kate too, it's the turning point because oh my god once we can start to be our own nurturing parent that you know a lot of the work is done when we can get to that yeah that was my last day one that happened I, I did that it was so profound I talked yeah. talk about it. it's, it's it was like when you said it's the turning point Lou uh, makes me feel really emotional because oh, I'm like um what you said yeah. about the 
the parent thing yeah. um yeah yeah mm. I'm really aware that we're coming up to the hour and yeah. we haven't talked about that I was really excited to talk about. So I wonder if we can just touch on it briefly is the finding joy. Because I think, you know, for so many of us, uh, you know, that have lived through trauma, that have lived through addiction, that, you know, you know, maybe with trauma don't, I mean, to some degree for me the only way that I ever found joy was going out and getting wasted mm. and the idea you know of being having all this being left with all this trauma and finding something joyful um first of all scared the bejesus out of me because I was like well if I get there then I'm going to want to use drugs because I'm going to want to heighten that feeling um and also I just didn't know how to stop I didn't know where to look for it yeah, and I think that's the sort of, the, the, you know, the, the ultimate myth about, you know, drugs and alcohol or anything, right? It's like, that's where you access joy. And actually, it's the, it's the thing that rids you of it, you know? Yeah. And I was so low and so depressed and, and I didn't enjoy anything. I didn't enjoy my family. I didn't enjoy anything about my existence. I was, I was dead, you know, I was dead um and and you're right like when you come into sobriety it's just like terribly scary like how am I ever gonna act I don't know how to do that like I don't know how to have fun or be or access joy other than outsourcing it to something because that's what I've done ever since you know I could so I guess for me it's that this you know it's that the two-pronged thing because it's not easy with trauma right to just be like what did you do as a kid you know do that because that's not necessarily a safe space yeah so partly it was the um it was finding little moments like uh, you know little glimmers as it were of like hologram stickers you know pop into my head okay like fine there's something around color or you know or just taking those little morsels of things that brought you joy um, and building on those but also just getting curious super curious about the future you know because I was so stuck in for me my teenage self you know because that's when my my trauma was so I was so stuck in just repeating the same things I've been doing since I was 18 you know it was like what do adults do that's you know what do I want to be doing when I'm you know an older lady and creating this real image of this you know older lady with tattoos and you know paddle boarding and and going hiking and traveling and and knowing I didn't have to do any of that stuff now but god wasn't it exciting that that person might exist one day that kind of possibility you know and so that was my joy spot of just of possibility that little moment of possibility that things can progress and change and I don't have to just stay where I am um you know Kate I'll carry on I've got a dog whimpering oh. <laughs> well I was gonna say like Mandy said I, I it just reminded me of a blog I wrote last month actually and it was called tiny joy and it was like maybe joy is those tiny 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 like we think of joy as like whoa yeah. and it's like actually those micro moments those tiny glimmers those spider threads those early morning deep breath the first thing early morning maybe you know just start so 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 tiny and see if you get tingled see if you get 
that I call them signs of life, like looking for signs of life, literally. That, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's where joy begins for me, is those tiny, tiny signs of life. And I think what I you said earlier, Mel, mm. in terms of, um, you know, community and service, right, it's like when you start to interact and have a purpose or some connection with the world and have a meaning in that, yeah. you know, that builds those joy spots in your brain. That mm. builds that kind of like... I. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be a real doom merchant and say, if you expect joy in early recovery. <laughs> no, it's important, though. You it, can't but it access is, it, but, can you? But, but you can't say to somebody no. to feel joy because joy, as you're all saying, is a big emotion. Mm. Joy is a big emotion. And how we get to joy are those little moments of, like Mandy was saying, hope or those little moments of self-acceptance or those little moments of pride or those little moments of all the small steps because yeah. if we've been in addiction or trauma and we've been dissociated and disconnected we've cut off all of our feelings mm -hmm. and we can't just suddenly go oh let's turn the joy on now then yeah. it's going to take time for all of those feelings to come back into our body mm -hmm. and joy feels like it's the end event after we've got the moments of contentment or the moments of peace or the moments of tranquility and then maybe we get to the joy yeah but start I would say start with contentment and mm. just little pockets of hope and contentment and pride and feeling okay the joy will come mm. a big part of for me a big part of the journey to finding joy for me was was a gratitude practice and you know I've heard this saying and, and it just resonated with me which is that you know you don't become grateful for being happy you become happy for being grateful um, and that was my experience around finding joy you know it was like when I started to find the things that I was grateful for it was like oh those things are making me smile or yeah. they're making my heart feel bigger or they're you know and, and then it could grow from there yeah, and, yeah and I think it's important to say that like people often like gratitude can feel quite weighty right and people can often feel like they're not doing gratitude right it's like oh I should be really great because it gets certainly for me and my you know my family story it's like you should be grateful you should be happy you should be you, you know we get a lot of that messaging from society you should love being a mother you should enjoy this you know <laughs> sorry <laughs> you know, and, and so so you're like oh all of a sudden like I should be really grateful every day but what you said you know is like oh that made me happy that's what it's about I noticed oh I noticed something that made yeah. me happy you know I call them happy hits it's like mm. I really like that old man's stripy socks yeah and I'm sorry if somebody yeah. had said to me about gratitude early on in my <laughs> journey I'd have told them to foxtrot Oscar yeah <laughs> it's like Kate with mindfulness it's like really oh yeah no no and the meta used to make me angry don't make yeah. me do a loving kindness meditation because I will literally get nasty yeah but I can do it now, but I can't yeah. get to Donald Trump. I can't. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, so ladies, I'm aware that yeah. we're nearly out of time, but where next for you now, and where, 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 what are you up to? If we want to hear more, mm -hmm. how, how do we, how do we get more grateful for Kate and Mandy? Mm. 
We've got, we do actually do a group, uh, a group program, a group coaching program called the Love Sober Life School, which is all the stuff that we talk about, the, the happy hits, the, how, the, the toolkit, basically. And it's a three month uh, group program, which starts at the end of, when's it start? End of no mid-November. November the 6th, I believe. But we, yeah, you can find us at um, lovesober.com and find out about that. Brilliant. Okay, thank yeah. you for that. And I believe that we've also doing something together. Yeah. In January. <gasps> yeah, January the second, which is the Be Sober Live Conference yeah. in Sobriety Paris. Breakthrough. It's called. I yeah. Think. yeah. Sorry, That's Sobriety Break Breakthrough. Live. Yeah. So if anybody would like to come and see. Uh, some of us there on stage talking about addiction and trauma and recovery it's Simon Chappell's event so it's at his besoberlive.co.uk and there's loads of other speakers as well aren't there yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Annie Grace yeah Emily Cyprus yeah and also, Lou, you're going to be on our podcast soon as well. I, I am. And, we're gonna, and I Mel, we're going to invite Mel on as well. Oh, so, brilliant. Yeah. So we do the podcast hmm. every week if we can. Um, so that's, you know, and there's a, a back catalogue of, of many, you know, from the early days of all through all the things of sobriety. So, you know, wow. it's a free resource. So hmm. definitely check it out. And it's called Love Sober Podcast. It's on the iTunes, Spotify brilliant yeah. all the old all right. places great great all right well thank you very much ladies it's been a pleasure and really look forward to catching up soon and i hope for those of you that have been listening or watching or watch it later or listen later on either facebook or youtube or the podcast I hope you enjoyed it and you got something from it and please keep in touch let us know any questions particularly in the Trauma Thrivers Facebook group, please put them underneath and we'll come back in and answer them. Yeah. Yeah. But in the meantime, have a lovely rest of the day. Take care and lots of love Bye. to everybody. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye-bye.